Hey, listen, we're in week two of Party of Twelve. We started this series last week. Um, Party of Twelve, here's where that name comes from. A year ago, I asked the Lord, what can we start teaching now to prepare a church, a culture, a people for November, right? Y'all know what's coming in November? Thanksgiving, right? It's the, the debate over potatoes or stuffing, right? That's what's going to happen. And also, there's an election. So um, there's things that could divide us. And so we, we asked the Lord a year ago, what can we, what can we teach that would, that would directly speak to that and so party of 12, we're taking seven, eight weeks and looking at the disciples that follow Jesus. And let me just remind you of, this is um, great, we do big ideas. There's a big idea for the entire series. You're going to hear this so many times, you're never going to forget it. And the big idea for this series is this, who we have in common is more powerful than what we don't. Who we have in common, and his name is? Thank goodness. You were listening last week. That's good. Who we have in common is more powerful than what we don't. And we could list a whole bunch of what's that we don't have in common, right? But who we have in common is more powerful than what we don't. Um, D.A. Carson, I love this. He's an he's a, a, a evangelical teacher. He said that when we think about the original disciples, the 12, they were not natural friends. They were actually natural enemies, we don't see, we read the Bible and go, oh, it's such a great kumbaya story, right? But these guys did not like each other. And so we have to start asking ourselves, what was so powerful that it could take 12 men who really didn't like each other, who were kind of natural born enemies, and make them work together for a common goal and change the world? I think that's a legitimate question to ask ourselves. And, of course, we learned last week the answer is Jesus, right? Jesus is the life of the party. He's the reason. And, and as, we, as we start today and we start to dig into these, these lives of the disciples, I don't want us to forget as we study 12 men that it's Jesus, right? Jesus is the reason that these men banded together. Jesus is the reason that they were able to walk together and not, well, just kill each other, right? Um, and I, I, I told somebody this, this this past week. When when people who don't like each other can come together to achieve something incredible, that's what gets the attention of a world that can't get along. They're they're not going to be drawn to the. I mean, worship was great. My preaching is going to be awesome. Speaking it in faith right now. But, like, you know, all the things that we think will draw people, that's not what draws people. You'll, you'll go to eat lunch today, and you might actually in your conversation talk about how great the service was, and you might pique the interest of a server. But what would really get that server's attention was if you were sitting at a table with people who don't look anything like you, and you were talking about Jesus. You were getting along. And they could tell that you had no reason to get along. Why are, they'd be like, why is this not turning into Jerry Springer? Why are they not punching each other right now? Why are they getting along? That's what gets the world's attention, right? And now what Jesus said, they'll know that you're my disciples because you have love one for another. And so I don't want you to forget that. That's what's going to get the world's attention. It's Jesus. Now, for you number nerds, here's how the disciples are listed. There's a, there's a bunch of different lists in the, in the New Testament, and every time they're listed, there's a different order, but some things always stay the same. This is just an interesting fact for those of you that like interesting facts, okay? So if, you, if you're into this kind of stuff, you would like to. Um, 
blow your friends away with your Bible knowledge, this is something you'll want to write down. Every time there's a list, Peter is always listed first, Philip is always listed fifth, and James, son of Alphaeus, is always listed ninth. Always. And there's always three groups of four. And the four that are in those groups are always the same, even though the order of those change as long as Peter, Philip, and James, son of Alphaeus, are in the same place. Isn't that weird? I love that. And this won't surprise anybody, but guess who's always last? Judas. Well, Judas of Iscariot, because there were two Judases. Judas. There were two people named Judas. Wouldn't you hate to be the other Judas? You're always walking around going, no, hey, I'm Judas. No, no, not that one, right? Quit hitting me. You've got me me confused with somebody else, right? So those three groups, they're they're always listed in the same groups of four, but sometimes that order changes. Um, Today, here's what we're going to do. We're going to start with Peter, and we're going to start with his brother Andrew, and we're going to begin with the first person to follow Jesus, and that was Andrew. Watch this clip. Simon. Simon. It's happened. It's happened, Simon. What are you talking about? Did you run all the way from Jerusalem? We're saved. We're saved. I saw him with my own eyes, Simon. Who? It was incredible. Andrew, who did you see? The Lamb of God. He who takes away the sin of the world. Simon, we're standing by the Jordan, and John the Baptist pointed at the man who was walking. Simon, are you listening? Yeah. Yeah, you're just not saying anything. I saw the Messiah today. The man all of us, including you, have been playing for our whole lives. Don't you even care? Was he a big man? Big? No. Rich. No. It didn't seem he could bail us out of this debt to Rome. Maybe. Maybe he was a doctor. No. So he can't help with Eden's Zima, who's now living with us, Andrew. That's just... So pardon me if I'm not exactly jumping out of my sandals because creepy John pointed at someone. You're scared. Lost everything. Burnt every bridge. It doesn't matter. The Romans don't matter if the Messiah has arrived. Anything is possible now. Don't you see? That'd be nice. Where are you going? Go ahead, Eden. The brothers are trying to cook. I can smell it. Two things about Andrew. Number one, Andrew was a bringer. Three times Andrew's mentioned in the Gospel of John. Let me just give you the references. John chapter 1, verses 40 through 42. John chapter 6, verses 8 and 9. John 12, verses 20 and 21. Every time, I'm sorry, every time Andrew is mentioned in the Gospel of John, he's bringing somebody to Jesus every single time. First time he's mentioned, John chapter 1, he's bringing Simon Peter. That's what you just watched. 
And again, like, look, we read this like, oh, he just said, come see Jesus. And Peter's like, okay, right? How many of you ever tried to bring somebody to Jesus? Sometimes it can feel like dragging, can it? Like, please, you've got to see this man. I don't have time. But he's bringing him to Jesus. In John chapter 6, he's the one that brought the boy that had the bread and the fish. In John chapter 12, he's the one that brought Greeks who wanted to see Jesus. He's the one that took them to see Jesus. So Andrew was a bringer. And, and two, here's the second thing that we know about Andrew. He was humble enough to know who the hero was. Let me ask you this question. Are you willing to play second? Or do we have to be the hero? I told you this last week as we introduced the 12 disciples. What strikes me about Andrew is that he's the one that brought Peter to Jesus. He was the first one to follow, the first one to evangelize, and he's not even listed as one of the big three. And apparently, Andrew was okay with that. His whole motivation was just, I want to bring people to Jesus. I want to bring them to Jesus in such a way that they might even forget who I am. Some of you, I don't know where you are on the Enneagram, right, or where you are on introvert, extrovert, but some of us in the room, we really want people to remember our names. We've, we're spending our entire life trying to get discovered, and we're following a man of whom it said that he must increase and we must decrease. Andrew got that. He understood that. So what do we learn from Andrew? We learn that God uses people to reach people. Like, wouldn't it be great if we could just pray, Lord, save the world and just watch it happen? Wouldn't that be awesome? But he uses people to reach people. So let me ask you this question. The takeaway from Andrew's life, are you willing to be a bringer? Are you willing to step into somebody's life and do what we just watched Andrew do with his brother Peter? Are you willing to arrest their attention, and say, you have got to meet this man that I just met. And if he's the Messiah, anything is possible. Are you willing to be that person? Are you willing to be a bringer? Are you willing to let the king of glory get the glory? That's the question that Andrew would ask us. All right, so. Now let's turn our attention to the one disciple who, can we all admit, makes us feel better about ourselves, right? Let's talk about Peter. Longer clip, but I want you to watch something that happened in Peter's life. Simon, it's him. Excuse me. That's him, Simon, that's him. No time for this, Andrew. It's him, Simon, it's the man. John said he's here, right now. May I ask a favor? I'm teaching these people, and apparently they're having trouble hearing me. If I could stand on your boat, that would be helpful. They're having trouble hearing you, huh? Yes, yes, of course. Please, please, stand on my boat. Thank you. I need to go. I'm sorry. No time for this today. Stay a few moments longer. I have something for you. For me? Uh, I'm in a hurry. Yes, I know. Just allow me a few moments, please. Simon, trust me as I have trusted you. This man is the Messiah. 
Good to see you again, Andrew. Yes. I'm Jesus. Thanks for this. Simon. In my last moments with you, I want to share another story. Can everyone hear me? Well, let's thank our friends for this strong boat, huh? Trust me, my yelling voice is not easy on the ears. Because I'm on this boat, my final parable should be about fishing, yes? Simon, please send me that net. When this net is thrown into the sea, what happens, Simon? Well, I mean most of the time. It gathers. A, a little louder. It gathers fish. Yes. This net gathers fish. All kinds of fish, yes? Yes. All kinds of fish. And the kingdom of heaven is like what happens next. After the net is full, Simon and the others draw it to the shore, sit down, and sort out the fish. The good fish go into the barrels, and the bad fish thrown away. So it will be at the end of the age. Angels will come and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into a fiery furnace. Do you understand? Therefore, every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven, like you all are now, is like the master of a house who brings forth his treasures, both new and old. You are to do the same with this knowledge. These parables I tell make sense to some, not to others. Be patient. That is all for today. I have some business to attend to with my new friend. that down for a catch. A little farther out. Uh, I don't have a quarrel with you, teacher. But we've been doing this all night. Nothing. All right. At your word.
brother and the baptizer. <laughs> you are the Lamb of God, yes? I am. Depart from me. I am a sinful man. You don't know who I am and the things I've done. Don't be afraid, Simon. I'm sorry. We, we've waited for you for so long, we believe. But my faith, I'm sorry. Lift up your head, fisherman. <laughs> what do you want from me? Anything you ask, I will do. biggest thing I want you to take away is that the more clearly we see our Savior, the more clearly we see our sin. Luke 5, 8. It's what you just watched happen. When Simon Peter saw this, the miracle of the fish, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. When Peter saw Jesus, he immediately knew that he was not worthy. Immediately he knew that. And here's the takeaway from Peter's life. We, we saw from Andrew that God uses people to reach people, yes? But what I love about Peter is that we see that God uses messy people to reach people. Anybody feel like a messy person from time to time? He uses messy people to reach people. Now, I'm going to give you a long list of Peter's 
not highlights, but lowlights, okay? And there's a reason I'm giving you this, right? We're not just trying to throw them under the bus, but I want you just to take notes of all the ways, all the messes that Peter made after he met Jesus, okay? So if you're taking notes, here we go. Matthew 15, 16, Peter does not understand Jesus. Mark 10, 13, Peter does not share Jesus. Matthew 14, 22, Peter stops looking at Jesus. Matthew 17, 24, Peter actually speaks up for Jesus and tells people what Jesus did not himself say. Matthew 16, 23, Peter tried to stop Jesus. That's bold. John 13, 18, I mean John 13, 8, Peter refuses Jesus. Matthew 26, 40, a passage that none of us can relate to. Peter fell asleep on Jesus in prayer. Matthew 26, 74, Peter denies knowing Jesus. And in Matthew 21, 1, after all of this and after Jesus had died, Peter quits on Jesus and says, I'm just going to go back and I'm going to fish. What I want you to see is that messes do not scare the Lord away. Because he speaks to us even in the messes. Even with Peter, he speaks to him when he makes those mistakes. And he speaks destiny over his life. He calls him to something greater than the messes that he's made. Now, in case um, some of you are still on the fence, I want to wrap this morning up this way. You're still thinking that your mistakes, past, present, and even some of us get locked up about our future mistakes. Like, oh, gosh, like if I, well, I could say yes to God now, but ugh, what if I make a mistake down the road? As if God doesn't already know that. What I want you to see this morning is that Jesus knew Peter. He understood Peter. And he was still committed to Peter. Right? Even when Peter had made messes and would make messes again. Um, I, I want to share with you something that I heard this past week. Um, I'm going to ask the worship team to come. And we're going to prepare to close this service with a song. I was listening to a, a book that I, um, I, I, told, I told somebody this week. It's a book that I want to recommend to everybody and want to recommend to nobody at the same time. You ever read books like that? It's called Unoffendable. Read it at your own risk. And he was, he was making the point about how much Jesus loved people and how Jesus could live unoffendable. And he, he mentioned this segment of Scripture that I've seen so many times, but he, he just shared it in a, in a way I'd never noticed before. He said at the end of John chapter 13... You know, uh, Jesus has just washed the disciples' feet, and Peter um, turns to Jesus and tells him, again, you know, Peter's like that bold guy that's always making these big claims. He's like, Lord, I will die for you, right? And the last verse of John chapter 13, Jesus looks at Peter and says, um, actually, you're going to deny me three times. And, and not deny me three times over your life, but you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows. So, like, in a very short time, I get you just told me you're going to die for me, but you're actually going to deny me. Now, the point the man was making in the book was how would you react to somebody that just told you that they would do something for you, but you actually knew that they were going to do the exact opposite, not once but three times. How would you respond to that person? Well, 
we know the Bible that we hold today, right? When, they, when it was first written, they didn't write in chapters and verses. Y'all know that, right? So we did that later on so that people like us could find what the pastor was talking about. Like turn in, turn in your scroll to or turn in your Bible to. But they didn't have those originally. So if you read the Bible without chapters and verses, then John chapter 13 ends and just goes right into the conversation that continues in John chapter 14. You understand what I'm saying so far? What I've never seen before is that after Jesus said to Peter, you will disown me three times before the rooster crows. If you take that into chapter 14, still in the red letters, no break, the very next thing Jesus said was, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. I go to prepare a place for you. And who is he talking to? Peter. Man, if you're in this room and you're like, I've messed up too much. I, God, and, and I think sometimes we think that only people that don't love Jesus think that way. But I will tell you this with all boldness, right? Love me or hate me. Some of you are not fulfilling the destiny that God has for you. Because even though you will go to heaven someday because you believe in Jesus, you don't think he can use you here on earth. And he says to you, I know you. I know the messes that you've made, and I know the messes that you will make. Because Peter still hadn't denied him yet. But don't let your heart be troubled. You believe in God? Believe in me too. So much so that I'm going to prepare a place for you. And I'm going to come again to get you and take you there. Even though I know what you're getting ready to do. Can, I, can we just wrap this morning up with me telling you in no uncertain terms that God is not afraid of your mistakes. He's not afraid of your sins. He's not afraid of the messes that you make. He even knows that you're going to walk out of this service and this week in some form or fashion probably deny Him. And He still says, I'm preparing a place for you. I want a relationship with you. I know you. So don't let your hearts be troubled. And I want to encourage you this morning, all of us that say, yeah, I'm, I'm not only messy, but I make messes everywhere I go, right? I try to do the right thing, and it ends up being the wrong thing. I want you to know that Jesus still loves you, and he still wants you, and he can restore in you what he had planned from the very beginning. Don't look at Peter and think that was just a him thing. It's, that's our story, isn't it? We are the mess makers, and he still uses us. We sang that song earlier, You Are Worthy of It All. And what I love about that is if you just would close your eyes for a moment and just picture what it's going to look like when we sing that in heaven. Every tribe, every tongue, every nation, I mean, mess makers as far as the eye can see. And the only person that's going to matter is Jesus. Do you see how who we have in common 
is more powerful than what we don't. He is worthy. He is able. And I want us this morning, I want us to end. I want to pray over those of you here who say, man, I, I have made a mess. And sometimes I struggle to wonder if God can even redeem it. I hear what you're saying, Paul, but I want to believe it. Will you pray for me? If that's you, would you just put your hand in the air and say, that's me. Will you pray? Thank you so much. Thank you. We're going to pray, and then we're just going to end this morning singing that chorus. You are worthy of it all because he is worthy of it all. Father, right now in your name, Jesus, I pray for those that raise their hands. I pray for those in the room that are stirred, God. Um, the enemy would want to come in and say, you're such a failure. You have messed it up so much. It's beyond redemption. And man, we hear the lie of the enemy screaming in our ear all the time. But in this moment, God, I pray that we would hear louder than that. Jesus, look at us and say, don't let your heart be troubled. I'm going to prepare a place for you. Yeah, the you that makes the mess. I'm going to make a, a, a room for you, and I'm going to come, and I'm going to get you, and I'm going to bring you to be with me. And God, that we could, we could stand this morning, God, hearts clean before you, and simply say, I don't know how you do it, God. I don't know how you change messes into miracles and how you take my mess and give me a message through it. But because you're able to do it, God, I see that you're worthy. And could we just end this morning like Peter did, just falling on his knees and saying, I am a sinful man. And you looked at him and said, just come, follow me. My answer this morning is I will. Church, would you stand with me this morning? Would you just raise your hands and would you just sing that chorus to him? You are worthy of it all. You are worthy of it all. Come on, church. It's just you and Jesus right now. Come on. You are worthy of it all. Yeah. For from you are all things. And to you are all things. You deserve the glory. Come on, church. This is what we can sing now because of his grace. You are worthy of it all. You are worthy of it all. For from you are
Lord, I thank you for the hope that Jesus gives us. God, I thank you that we are new creations in Christ. I thank you that the old is gone and that the new has come. When you say you are doing a new thing, it includes us. I thank you that you, from creation, have seen this moment. You have known who would be in this room. You have known what we would be feeling, what we would be experiencing, what we would, where we would be, and you speak through eternity, and you say, you are mine. Come follow me. And God, I pray that we would be just like Peter, that we would make the biggest messes following you because we are so in love with you. We just want you. That we would trust you, God, to redeem us, not just once at an altar, but for the rest of our lives. That you would transform us to look like Jesus. I pray that you would make us bringers like Andrew. That we would never come to you empty-handed, God. But that we would share with those around us the good news that I have met a man who is more than a man. I have met the Messiah, and he is here. And because he's here, anything is possible. Oh, God, that we could be those that bear that message to our city, to our culture, and see the atmosphere change as a result, God. We walk out of here this morning, head up, shoulders back, chest out, because we carry the good news of the gospel, that you are the hope for the brokenness of mankind. You are the hope for the messes that we make and that we encounter, and we get to carry you to those places and we thank you for it God in your name Jesus Amen